A week ago Friday, happened to be January 13th, don't know if you heard, but it was quitting day or quitter's day. According to research uh, by a fitness company that they did years ago now, they decided, hey, this is a day we should be aware of, quitter's day. Not to encourage people to quit, but to recognize that this is the time of the month in January when most people are really flagging in their motivation to keep their resolutions, which almost always have to do with some sort of physical fitness goal. So this exercise company that sells products in that area are trying to get awareness out, not to give up and quit. In fact, other research says that more than two-thirds of people give up on their resolutions by the end of January. Other folks have higher numbers. It's debatable, but the, the question is, why do we do that? Why, why is it so hard to make it just two weeks into the new year trying to set some new habits and some new patterns? What is it about those resolutions? What's it about us that, you know, whether it's a physical goal or some sort of spiritual goal that we're trying to start out with in the new year, that we stop going to the gym or we stop the Bible reading plan within just a couple weeks. We stop tracking our calories or getting up early to pray. What is going on? Why does that happen? Well, from what I've read, there are lots of reasons, probably as many reasons as there are people who make New Year's resolutions, but there are some common themes, some common barriers that make it harder. Uh, just the timing. You know, the middle of winter is not a good time to start new things, despite it being January 1st then. You know, your, your energy's low, it's dark out, it's cold out. That's a hard time to start new things. There's other factors with motivation and just your circumstances in life, you know, uh, getting accountability and, and, and more things like that. So I bring all of this up because as we look at our passage today, in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, I think Jesus actually addresses what you most need to hear to help you reach your goals, whatever they may be, uh, especially your spiritual fitness goals. And that's our series coming into the new year. Uh, Grace on purpose, you know, getting spiritually fit is what we're focused on. In this passage, Luke 18, 9 to 14, Jesus shows us the most significant barrier that you have to face if you really want to achieve pretty much any goal. So read with me. See if you can pick it out as we read Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. This is God's Word. <clears throat> and He also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, 
adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is God's Word. Lord, would you bless our eyes, our ears, our hearts with your Word, with your Spirit. Would you transform us a little bit more into Christ's likeness. Encourage us, Lord, where we can have some opportunity to grow. And meet us here, we pray. As we come to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm driving around in, in my minivan and obeying traffic laws for the most part, you know. And as I've, that, somebody laughed too knowingly, I think, there. Uh, as I've told you before, I, I just by nature, I, I have this interaction with other drivers, and um, I'm always kind of asking them questions. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why don't you just get over? You're in the middle lane in the highway, you know, it's like, you just, just why you got to have your car just sticking out a little bit, just slide a little forward. <laughs> They're long gone, but I'm still talking to them, you know. Sometimes I will have, you know, some more constructive advice, like, you know, get all the way into your lane. That just seems to be a big one in my life. I don't know why. Sometimes, you know, they might need a rebuke, like, dude, that light was so red. I don't think anyone ever hears me. You know, I usually have the windows up. But the thing is, like, I know how to drive, right? I, I've been driving for a long time. I know the laws of the road. I, I keep them, yet these other people just don't. You know, I'm, thank God that I'm not tempted to make rude gestures. That does not occur to me. And sometimes I worry because I do gesture, but I'm never making the other kinds of gestures. I'm just using my hands and my body language. So I thank God that I, I'm not like one of those people that make those gestures. And I don't really swear either. By God's grace, that's something that He took away from my life decades ago for the most part. And in fact, I'm really thankful that I, have, I avoid wailing on the horn for the most part. I mean, sometimes people really do need to hear that, right? And if they do, then I'm willing to help. You know, that, that attitude right there, which is only a little bit amplified from what actually goes on in my heart, uh, that attitude is exactly what Jesus is addressing as he shows us this picture of self-righteousness in the Pharisee and then the opposite in the tax collector. He says in verse 9, he, Jesus, told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves. You just stop right there for a second who trusted in themselves, who put their confidence in themselves. You 
You might say that another way. People who relied on themselves. People who believed they were the ones who got it and understood and had to deal with all of those other people. That's who he's talking to. People like me on the road. And the biggest problem you and I have, the one that we're going to face when we try to achieve any goal, is the one that you think you most need, which is to be able to do it, to rely on yourself. And that, as we unpack this passage, I hope you see, is, is our biggest barrier to getting our goals. It's actually our own self-reliance. Our own thought that we are one of the few who get it. That we rely on ourselves and think we can do it. Now, when Jesus brings in the word righteous, those who were self-righteous, you're bringing in almost always, you're bringing God into that picture and it begins to describe someone who believes that because of what they do, they're not only just and fair and right and get it, but they're right with God by what they do. This, this attitude is, even without bringing God into the picture, a part of who we are. A part of what's going on in our hearts. And it's a big barrier. Because what's going to happen when you set goals or when you drive around saying, I'm thankful I'm not like those other people. I only do what's right on the road. You're going to find yourself waiting behind someone who just won't turn right after the light turns green and you break your vow to not lay on the horn. And then you see all the people in the crosswalk that they weren't running over. Hypothetically speaking. Because what happens is you're the one who gets it and you can keep up that illusion until you can't. Because you're going to mess up. You're going to fail. Our self-reliance, whatever category we put it in, is going to let us down. And that's what we need to deal with. You might call it failure. You might call it hypocrisy. Jesus calls it self-righteousness or self-reliance. We all do it. <clears throat> and so what do we do about it? How do we deal with it? <clears throat> because you're going to fail. Well, one of the authors I, I follow a lot, um, listen to his podcast and, and all, talks about goals and resolutions quite a bit. <clears throat> and he points out that, you know, one of our struggles of why we give up has to do with the goals that we set and how we view success and deal with failure. He says, if your goal is to lose 10 pounds and you only lose eight, you don't celebrate. You feel like you failed and you quit. Is that not true? You know, you, if, if someone had told you you're going to lose eight pounds in January, six months ago, you'd probably be like, that's cool. But if you set the goal of I'm going to lose 10 pounds by the end of January, you're going to feel like a failure. So what do you do about that? How do you address that? Especially if you want to grow spiritually because you're going to set goals and you're going to be like, I'm going to read the Bible every day. And you don't. 
Maybe you get sick. Maybe you just sleep in. What do you do? Maybe you're going to go to the gym every day. You know, what, what, what do you do? If you want to get spiritually fit, really, here's what you need to do. You have to deal with your self-righteousness. You have to deal with your self-reliance. That's what Jesus is talking about here. It's a universal problem. And the way to solve it is to shift your confidence. Shift your reliance from yourself to God. He's the only one that you, you can truly count on. He's the only one who's going to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what does that look like then? Well, that's what we're going to see here. What does it look like to rely on God and not yourself? Because if you rely on God, you're, you're going to grow more confident. Ironically, if you give up on your own self-reliance, you will make more progress. You will have more peace. We can see it in the opposite here uh, of the Pharisee. Let's look at him first. The Pharisee demonstrates a reality centered on you, not centered on God. A place where you trust yourself, not God. And in that place, this reality centered on you, you lift, it's a place that lifts you up, right? That's the purpose, to exalt you. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. Now, you need to know in those days as they prayed, they almost always, exclusively almost, prayed out loud. They weren't like us, you know, home alone, praying in, in, in our own heads. They were praying out loud. Even as Jesus said, they went up to the temple to pray. They might have prayed quietly out loud, but they prayed out loud. That's what they did. And so when the language here says that he was praying this to himself, you, you probably read that in his head. But Jesus is saying more than that. He seems to be saying something like the guy was praying to himself while seeming to pray to God, or he's saying like he was praying about himself, which you could kind of make a pretty easy case for because the guy says I five times in a couple sentences. Ah, oh, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. I, 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 right? This is what self-reliance does. This is what happens when you... Center reality on yourself. You have to lift yourself up. You have to give yourself these kind of talks to deal with the failure that really is lurking and that threatens you. And, and, and it distorts your perspective on, on everything, starting with yourself. You know, he says, God I thank you that I am not like other people. How distorted does your own view of yourself have to be that you begin talking to the God of the universe in the temple and say, God, I thank you that I am not like all these other people, that I'm pretty special. You've got some wrong thinking going on there. He says in verse 12, I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. What's he doing? He's exalting in the things that he does. And unlike those other people who maybe, if they're obedient to the Old Testament Scriptures as the people had them in those days, maybe they fast once a year, which was really all the law required, was a fast at one of the feasts throughout the year. But he's saying, look, I'll do better than that. I'll fast not only once a year, not even just once a month, not even once a week. I'll fast twice a week. 
That's how good I am. And he says, on top of that, I'm not only going to give a tithe of, of all the things that God said to give that 10% of, of the flocks and the herds. I'm going to give a tithe of everything I get. If someone, if my neighbor happens to give me a couple apples out of the goodness of their heart, man, they didn't have apples. They didn't give me a couple olives. You know, I'm going to give 10% of those olives to God. I'm going to be meticulous in making sure that anything that comes into my possession, that 10% of that I'm going to give to God. God, that's what I do. What's he doing, though, in doing those things? What's he not talking about? Every other of the hundreds of commandments that God made, right? He has narrowed down his perspective to these things that probably fit his personality and his preferences, his income level, his habits, his upbringing, all of those kind of things. He's narrowed that list and lowered the standards to match what he's able to do. This is what we do when we center reality on us. We, we, we have to lift ourselves up so we narrow the focus. You know, we've got like the sniper scope and in the crosshairs of it are only the things that we can do. We narrow it down to the target that much. And a weird thing happens as we do that, that as we lift ourselves up and focus the standards narrowly, we find others to push down. The self-centered focus, the reality centered on you, tears others down, pushes others down. Look what he says, verse 11. God, I thank you I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. Tear other people down. This is, this is an example of what Jesus says in the parable's introduction. You know, He told this parable to those... How does it put it? Verse 9. Who, were, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. This is the essence of contempt. To treat others as worthless, without value. To have no use for them. To reject them. Because of what they're doing or not doing. That as you turn the target you know, to them and you see, hey, they're not doing these things that I've defined as what's most holy. No matter what God says, this is my list. And they're not doing it. So I can feel good about myself by pushing them down. I can lift myself up and feel better. But that's not the only thing that happens. You're distorted on your own view of yourself when... Reality is centered on you. You lift yourself up. You push others down. Your view of them is distorted. But the worst thing of all is that it moves God to the side. A reality centered on you has to move God to the side. Because if God gets too close, you're confronted with your own failure with how you fall short. Because God is the one who always does what's right. He's always going to beat you. He's always going to be the best. And if your goal in life is to center on yourself, lifting yourself up and pushing others down, you've got to keep God on the sidelines. He's got to move to the side. You know, as parents, especially as a dad, you know, as the kids were growing up, I was mindful of that, wrestling with them. You know, I didn't unleash the fuel, fury, and strength of these guns on them, right? Wrestling on the floor with a three-year-old. I don't let them have the big guns, right? I was flexing, in case you couldn't tell. Right? You, you, you hold back. 
God does kind of veil himself. But even when he does, you know, if he gets near, you, you know you're outmatched. You know you can't hang with him. And the whole building yourself up thing crumbles. Your ability to condemn others just falls apart when God draws near. That, that's this, this reality that we're, we're, we're born into, that we center life on ourselves. I mean, we need to do that. Literally, you're born into the world, and, and you scream and you cry, and somebody feeds you, right? You scream and you cry, and somebody takes care of your diaper. You know, you grow, and they take care of you. They orient their lives around you. And we grow up in that context. It's so necessary, right? We take care of babies. We grow them up. But at some point, we need to be moving beyond that. That we're no longer babies, infants, and immature. That we would be able to consider others. This self-reliance is a part of who we are. And it distorts everything. One of my kids, when they were little, had trouble seeing. We were worried about learning disabilities and everything else. Took them, and it turns out, going to the eye doctor, the root of it was they were very far-sighted, um, and and they had bad astigmatism. I have the same thing. Instead of your eyes being spherical and you know and roundish, they begin to they're a little squashed. And the way the eye doctor described it to me, I think, is wonderful. Uh, it's stuck with me now for quite a while. But he said, imagine that you're seeing the world and it's, it's on taffy. And <clears throat> then you stretch it. Same world, but it's all now stretched like this. Everything gets a little shorter and, and a lot wider. You know, if you're trying to walk on a balance beam, it's now, it's not like this big, it's like this big. You, oh, yeah, and your feet are huge. But I mean, hey, you can walk on it, right? That, that distortion of reality... That's what we deal with when we center life on ourselves. And, and, it's, and the challenge is, in, with the eyes, if you live too long that way, if you don't get corrective lenses in time, then you need to do some more significant intervention. It'll take longer to heal it up. It'll take more profound involvement, perhaps surgeries and things like that, to get it adjusted. And so in the spiritual realm, we are born with this astigmatism where everything is distorted, and it's, it's, it's not unusual, I think, that we all feel like other people are all stretched out and skinny, and you know, not skinny, they're, they're like way stretched, and we're above them in the spiritual realm when we center things on ourselves. And so the question is, you know, you got to deal with that. And it's hard to overcome. It's hard to get that right perspective. How do we overcome it? Now, the solution here, Jesus says, is, is to embrace the reality centered on God. You know, rather than a reality centered on you, embrace a reality centered on God. Because God alone offers mercy for the messed up. God alone offers mercy for the messed up. Look at verse 13 in this tax collector's words. The tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift his eyes up to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Everything about him communicates an unworthiness before God. He's standing at a distance. He's beating his breast. He's not looking up to heaven. It's his unworthiness 
before God, not before the Pharisee, not before other people, but before the God of the universe. It's not, it's not a horizontal thing. It is this vertical thing where we recognize that God, you alone have the mercy that I need. And that where I most need mercy is before you alone, God. And that this God offers mercy for the messed up. He's not down on himself, beating himself up because he's not good enough at this or that. He's saying, God, I have no standing before you at all. God, I need your mercy. I don't merit your attention. I need your mercy. And the thing is, that's the right place to be because the God who offers mercy for the messed up says it's the only way you can be made right is by the perfect one. This same God. The one who is holy. The one who doesn't shrink his standard. The one who doesn't narrow his requirements to just what you're good at. And the thing is, and this is where I think if you're setting some sort of spiritual fitness goals for this new year about reading or Bible or praying or fasting, uh, changing your life in some other way, your language or how you treat people. If you've set some sort of spiritual goal like that and, and you don't understand the way these things work, you're going to give up. You're going to fail. It's going to be hard and you're going to give up. Because what happens is, you will, if you succeed at all, you're going to get closer to God. And what's going to happen is, as you get closer to God, you recognize He's way higher than you thought. That, wow, I thought He was really holy and great and everything, but man... He's even more than that. And you're going to realize, I thought I was okay. But as I try to read the Bible more, and as I try to pray more regularly, as I try to share the faith with my friends, I realize I'm really lame and inept. I mess up. I put my foot in my mouth. I, I, I'm quiet when I should speak up, or I say this, the things that I shouldn't say. I'm worse than I thought. And as, as, you, as you make that progress, it's going to undo you. If God gets holier and more right and you get worse and worse, what's going to happen? You're going to give up. Because you can't span that gap. You can't make up the distance. God is holy and high above and perfect. And He offers mercy for the messed up. He, may, he offers that you can be made right by the perfect one. The word in our passage that the tax collector uses when he says, have mercy on me. The sinner is not the normal word for mercy that appears in the New Testament. It's not the word that uh, lepers would use crying out to Jesus, have mercy on me, son of David, you know, wanting to get healed. This is a different word, and it's significant because Jesus says these guys, the tax collector and the Pharisee, go up to the temple to pray. And it would be understood by most people in those days that they're going up to the temple to pray at one of the two times of corporate prayer. When the morning sacrifice or the evening sacrifice is going, 9 a.m. or 3 p.m. 
One of those two daily sacrifices is happening and people gather to pray at that time in the temple area. And at that time, a year-old lamb without spots, without defect, without blemish, is being killed and offered up on the altar. As the people are praying, they are seeing before them this offering of a year-old, perfect, spotless lamb with some grain and wine or oil, this pleasing aroma that's being offered to the Lord. We read about that in our Old Testament Scripture reading a little bit ago. The pleasing aroma to the Lord. You know, it, it, there's more to that than that just God likes the smell of a barbecue, okay? Which is probably what that smells like. Sorry, it's getting close to lunch and all. But that, that sacrifice, that offering, what the Old Testament calls that, and it's one of the great theological words in English, which, like, there's only one, I think, but this might be it, is atonement. Didn't know if you, you knew this or not, but that is a mashup of English words, at one mint, which is really, I guess, a suffix. Atonement is about making one. It's about reconciliation. That that sacrifice there on the altar as the tax collector and the Pharisee are praying, that sacrifice offered morning and evening, day after day, was pointing to the way that God would be reconciled to man. That we could be at one with God. The, the word for mercy here, uh, you could translate it atonement, even better, it would be propitiation which is not an English and helpful theological word. It's a word that has to do with satisfying wrath. Expiation is about removing something. So you would expiate our sins by removing them. This word propitiate is about removing the wrath of God. That he would be satisfied that his justice and holiness have been fulfilled. That God would say, I have made you right. You are acceptable in my sight. You need do nothing more than put your confidence and trust in yourself and how hard you've worked and the mostly good things that you've done, at least 50% of them outweighing. No! That you would put your faith and reliance and confidence in the one who can make you right with God. Not the lamb that was killed there on slaughter and the sacrifices day after day, but in the lamb of God who came among us. God himself stooping down to dwell among us, uniting himself to humanity. That he might stand between us like that sacrifice. That he might offer up himself to take away our sin, that he might offer up himself as a pleasing sacrifice to God, to satisfy God's just wrath at our sin. That he would be what happens there. God is holy. You can't reach him. You are sinful. And the more spiritual progress you make, the greater that gap is going to be inevitably. And if you're not seeing that gap grow, you're not making progress. You're probably pretending. Maybe you're performing. But if that gap grows, there's only one thing that can span it. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. 
and faith in him, that what he did was enough. And the interesting thing happens that as you understand that, you're not crushed by God's holiness being even more than you thought or by your own sin being worse than you thought. You're amazed and undone by the grace of a God, the mercy of a God, the propitiation, the atonement of a God who would span that gap for you. That you would be motivated to say, you know what, I did fail. But this does not define me. I did mess up. And I only read the Bible four out of seven times like I thought I would. But I can go forward. And God's not going to hold that against me. That in fact, He's forgiven me for that already. And I can move forward. Maybe I need to revise my goals. Maybe I can be a little more honest about how much time I have. And be working toward more time with the Lord. Maybe I just need to start with, I'm going to set the alarm five minutes early. And and I'm going to read for five minutes. You know, whatever it is. I can be... If, if, you, if Jesus is spanning the gap for you between God's holiness and your own failure, you can be honest with yourself about your abilities, your limitations, your sins and brokenness. That will take you to a different place in your goal setting. The guy I mentioned earlier about the eight pounds, losing you feel like a failure, he, he's, he encourages people who go through with him to just chop their goal in half. You want to lose 10 pounds, just lose five. What's the worst that's going to happen? You get to five and you celebrate, you feel great. Now you're motivated, right? Now I'm not just going to lose another five. Maybe now I'll go for seven, whatever it is. You know, it, it, be a little more reasonable about your goals and your expectations. Take some input from other people. Honestly, look at your schedule. And sometimes we don't do that, right? We don't want to look at our schedule because we know there's way too much Netflix or binge-watching of something on there, and we're going to feel guilty, right? Because we're not doing all the things that we think we should be doing. If if Jesus is going to span that gap for you, then you can be a little more honest about how you're spending your time, about how you're spending your money, and you can lift that before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I want to be better in these areas. And maybe you find one little thing. You know, maybe rather than watching every episode of the series when it comes out, you know, and binging it all, maybe you say, I'm only going to watch four. And you get somebody to help you, walk you through that. You know, these are things we can do if, if we're not hung up on our own performance. If we're not relying on building ourselves up so much that we narrow the focus so we can still feel good about ourselves, you need to feel bad about yourself sometime. You need to be honest because that's the way life is. That's what it means to be a sinner. You don't want to be this Pharisee standing there only listing the good things. No one wants to be his friend. He has no opportunity to make any progress in his life because he's got it all together because the list of things he needs to worry about is this big. And you know reality better than that. You know the list of things you need to care about is huge. It's overwhelming. So be honest about that and say, I can't rely on myself. Jesus, you got to take all of this stuff, man, and give me enough grace. Have mercy on me that I can believe I am forgiven And then I can have some hope to maybe in that find something that I can move forward a little bit on. And as we're doing this series of pursuing grace on purpose, that's the framework I hope we have. 
that we would recognize that we have to have Jesus, that the biggest barrier of making any progress toward any goal really is our pride. It keeps us from accountability. It keeps us from honesty. It keeps us from our own limitations. It's pride. Thinking we have it all together and continue to persist in this lie that we do have it all together because we keep the list only this big. Set yourself free from that. And you find you make some real progress. Because if you want to get spiritually fit, you have to deal with your own self-reliance, your self-righteousness, the reality of failure, in other words, which is going to come. And find your value not in what you do, but in who you are. And I pray that would be as someone who has received the mercy of God and is not done with the mercy of God, but continues to need it just like the sacrifice was offered morning and night every day for centuries. We still need the mercy every day. We need Jesus. Keep coming back to him, spanning that gap. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, as a church, we have goals and plans and objectives and things we want to do this year. We put them in your hands. Lord, personally, I have goals and objectives and things I want to do and so many things I haven't done. Things I feel like I should. I put that all in your hands. I pray, O oh Lord, that every one of us here today in this moment would just have that mind, that attitude, that it, we would put it all in your hands. That we would give up trying to build ourselves up, living a lie of, of performance and pretending. Lord, that we would put it all in your hands. And make you the center. That we'd be free. We'd be free to set some crazy goals even, Lord. And when we fail along the way, we'd, we'd look to you. And not give up. But persevere. Until that day comes when you return. Until that day comes when you finish the good work that you began in us. Until that day comes when you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Until that day comes when you say, enter into your rest. Oh Lord, that day comes when you wipe the tears from our eyes. Until that day comes, Lord, fix our eyes upon Jesus. Let him span that gap. We pray in his precious name. Amen.